Hello, I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch Podcast. The message of the film Slay the Dragon is simple, straightforward, and honest. A grassroots movement of Michigander voters, not politicians, outspent by an incalculable margin, won a huge victory to defeat evil Republican plots to ensure minority rule. However, that third epithet, honest, cannot be supported by the tangled web of myths, misinformation, and political ignorance that Slay the Dragon puts before viewers. Today, I'm joined by Capital Research Center's resident Michigander, my colleague Ken Braun, who watched the film, and then wrote a four-part series detailing the myths and flaws of the film for capitalresearch.org. Ken, uh, thanks for coming back again. Before we start, uh, give us a little background on your involvement in Michigan politics and your ties to the state. I've spent at least 10 years uh, either at a Michigan-based think tank and then uh, six of those 10 years as a uh, legislative aide in the Michigan House of Representatives. I've run political campaigns in Michigan. Um, you know, I've, I've for, for several decades, been in some fashion involved uh, and have a lot of friends in Michigan political circles. And so let's give some background on redistricting and how it works, or rather how it worked. Uh, in most states that have multiple congressional districts, and Michigan is one, I believe you guys have 11? Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I think, I, be I believe 13, but yes. 13. Uh, so Michigan has many congressional districts. The state legislature in previous census cycles every 10 years, the, the census determines how many seats you get. And then the state legislature decided how the congressional districts were assigned. And in most states, it's still the state legislature, uh, that decides. And that brings us to Slay the Dragon. Uh, the story, I'd call it a fairy tale, of the little grassroots movement, voters not politicians, enacting a state constitutional amendment to take control over redistricting from the state legislature uh, and giving it to a so-called independent redistricting commission uh, that consists of members of the major political parties. Uh, so let's proceed to the myths. Was this in fact a little grassroots movement outspent a bunch to one like the movie seems to claim? Yeah, the movie will make a claim, uh, does make the claim, that it predicts showing the voters not politicians team that they will be significantly outspent as you said and, and voters not politicians right. is the voters not politicians is the ballot measure organize the ballot measure committee correct. that pushed the for the the change to the Michigan state constitution correct they propose they put up what would what what became proposal 2 and then a an amendment to the Michigan constitution once it was passed um, so voters, not politicians, first of all, the, the, the myth of them being outspent is, is precisely 180 degrees opposite of what happened. Voters, not politicians, ended up raising about $13.9 million, what was uh, considered a staggering amount by um, one of the more left, you know, left of center uh, political magazines in the state. $13.9 million versus the $3.2 million that was spent to try and beat this supposed yeah, that was spent in that was spent in opposition right so they got outspent you know uh, nearly you know four to five to one there uh, uh just on the facts there the the organizations funding them were a uh a, a bunch of left-leaning uh one, one of them the one of the major funders was the 1630 fund a project of Arabella advisors, a left -leaning. yeah part of that big part of that big left-leaning uh dark money network that uh, we spoke uh, with with our colleague Hayden Ludwig about on an earlier episode of this podcast. They uh, put out a, a big report, Big Money and Dark Shadows, on how 
Arabella operates and how it funds all these sort of pop-up groups and these ballot measure committees and all sorts of uh, liberal political operations. Yes, and and so Arabella was um, you know, through 1630 was was one of the top funders. Uh, others, you know, the, the the Service Employees International Union, the SEIU, was a major funder. The National Redistricting Action Fund, a Democratic aligned uh, committee, was an. I mean, just go down the line. The 13 million, 13.9 million that they collected all came from very left-leaning partisan democrat yeah yeah these are these are the big sources. these are the big political special interest groups that that push for the liberal agenda and for the democratic party correct so it was it was you know there was no grassroots about the money it was right and and, and, and even I, re I remember reading in your piece you know voters not politicians itself was a bit of a misnomer didn't they have some some politicians fairly prominently in their uh, in their organization Certainly. So the central heroine in the in the Slay the Dragon story is a young lady named uh, Katie Fahey. They portray as just a, an, an angry Michigan citizen who starts a Facebook campaign that that launch you know sort of a launches the entire snowball rolling downhill um, that became this this supposed grassroots uh, operation. And yet, if you look into it, Ms. Fahey is um, there was a national media story. Uh, talking about the disappointment of the supporters who went to uh, watch the Hillary Clinton victory party in New York City, the only person quoted in the story is, in fact, one Katie Fahey, who drove from <laughs> Michigan to New York to be there to watch Hillary. Uh, you know, I, you I, know, the main, the main I've, I've never, party. I've never been, I've never been to a candidate, you know, to a candidate's election night party, but I presume that if you're going to drive across what that's like four five, six states, or, or or take an airplane. Yeah, or or, 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 yeah, or take an airplane. You know, whatever. Uh, or however, however you got there, you have to be pretty committed to to a political program. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I like I said, I've had a lot of involvement in Michigan politics myself. No one would confuse me as a as a you know nonpartisan person when it comes to Michigan politics. Um, I've been aligned with Republican. I'm you know for for, for better or worse aligned with Republican candidates um, the whole time. And uh, Ms. Fahey, I've never been to a presidential victory party, let alone the main one, um, you know, that where the candidate, him or herself, is going to show up. So Ms. Fahey was clearly a partisan person. Um, the movie doesn't mention any of this and portrays her as, as like I said, the grassroots heroine who led this, this marvelous grassroots victory. Um, the committee she, she puts forth is also... Or, the committee, the her board of directors with voters, not politicians, is also filled with mostly Democrat, former Democratic politicians, people that have given five or four figure sums and more to Democratic candidates. And then the lone Republican is Joe Schwartz, a former Michigan congressman, Republican, a former uh, state senator, also Republican, former candidate for governor, also Republican. However, Joe Schwartz... Um, was known for years in Michigan as the Republican that Democrats love. He he supported um, he repeatedly Democratic candidates uh, for governor and and president. Uh, he's a he's you know so he's sort uh, of the John he's sort of the John Kasich or the Phil Phil Scott of Michigan politics. <laughs> yeah, I would argue even more more likely to um to push in a in a. Uh, a democratic direction even than, than Governor Kasich was, yeah. 
So that was the, that was the that was the people that led this campaign. They, it was funded hugely by Democratic interests, overwhelming their opposition by four to five to one, and uh, the, the the leadership right down to the right down to the lady uh, running the campaign were heavily aligned with uh, left of center causes. But then surely the, oppo the, the opposition uh, committees, they, they were, of course, backed in big numbers by big business or the conservative activists like the Koch brothers, right? In fact, there's no Koch brothers money at all. Um, I, I think we could all be really rich if we had the money that were, was attributed to us as Koch brothers money, but uh, that wasn't the case <laughs> here. Um, and in fact, the, the big villain in, in the movie portrays, the, the movie portrays the biggest villain is the Michigan Chamber of Commerce. Uh, it's true the Michigan Chamber of Commerce was always heavily involved in Michigan's redistricting process, uh, as, as left-leaning groups and Democratic-aligned groups were as well. But the Michigan Chamber of Commerce, when it came down to Proposal 2, didn't really spend much money. I think $100,000 of the $3.2 million was, was put up by the Michigan Chamber of Commerce. So, you know, a paltry one thirty-second, whatever that works out to. Yeah. Um, the big donor, it wasn't the Koch brothers, it was someone that ironically was not mentioned by in the movie at all, an organization called the Michigan Freedom Fund, which has been a, um, a, a right of center supporter of a lot of free market type policies and the like in Michigan for a number of years. Um, mm. I, I don't know where all of their funding comes from. They are, it's been, you know, the, the, uh, the family of uh, education secretary Betsy DeVos does does help them out, and uh, yeah, and I be I believe if I'm remembering my political history, uh, one of the DeVoss's also unsuccessfully ran for governor several cycles ago. So they, they're big, they're big in yeah, they're big in Michigan politics. Dick DeVos, yeah. So this is a you know that frequently pointed to as a a major uh, Koch brother like entity in Michigan by the left. I guess it just shows the degree of uh, the folks that slay the dragon, even when they they had a um, you know that they, they that they missed this. Is, yeah, they had an open they had an open they had an open cheap shot at somebody that the NEA doesn't like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I think the movie um, is incompetent, and on on some levels like that, just shows they really didn't know what they were talking about. And but there was no incompetence. There was no excuse for them botching the funding uh disparity that was and as, and as we're discussing yeah. things and as we're discussing things that they botched now this enters the whole claim of minority rule by the obsolete gop that somehow that the only way that the republicans have majorities in situations where they have had majorities has been because of uh manipulation of the redistricting process to ensure rule by the minority mm -hmm. and in michigan uh which is briefly mentioned in the movie by um, a gentleman who works for the Michigan Chamber of Commerce as if it's a pejorative. He says, you know, the reason these maps come out so, you know, with, with Republican districts and heavily Democratic districts and heavily Republican districts is because Democrats tend to live together. And they put that out as if he's making some excuse for why the maps are as skewed as they are. Well, in fact, it's true. Um, yeah, no. Democrats in Michigan are heavily congregated and in then, Southeast Michigan, and the same thing holds. And the same thing holds. The same thing holds in other in other states, given the urban the urban rural divide that the, mm -hmm. these city these urban uh, districts, these urban precincts, these urban wards often are vastly monopartisan. You know, entire 
wards and you know entire precincts in Philadelphia where totally fairly, totally based on the votes of the people, you know, Mitt Romney got zero votes and mm -hmm. Barack Obama the second time got, you know, 2,000 votes. Totally fairly based on the votes of the people. Uh, but I, that makes I, it hard to draw a competitive district. <laughs> I have I have in-laws that live in Eugene, Oregon, and we stayed at an Airbnb there uh, right after the 2016 election. And just, you know, for fun, I looked up the precinct that I was sitting on. Donald Trump finished third in that precinct behind. I assume, I assume behind Stein. <laughs> And Jill Stein, the Green Party candidate. Uh, so not even, not even, not even Gary. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I think, I think uh, Jill. That was one of the few places where the Greens outpolled the Libertarian, even. Um, so yeah, that you know, there. That's another example. Those are all great examples. Democrats tend to live together in very, very strongly partisan districts. And if you look. The article that, that we've posted online shows a big blotch. If you take the four congressional districts that are the strongest Democrat in southeast Michigan, they are in a rather contiguous block of um in the in the far southeast corner of the state. Uh you know, the city of Wayne, Detroit. Wayne County, City of Detroit, Ann yeah, Arbor Ann Arbor's down there. <laughs> Yes, Ann Arbor is part of it. If you draw a nice little line, you know, blotchy line that goes from Ann Arbor all the way east to to you know the 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 Canadian border, and then up to uh, the uh, the end of you know into Oakland County, but all the way through Detroit, you pretty much have those, those four Democratic districts that I think the most the best Republican vote out of any of them was 39% for Congress. So that's that's where Democrats live. It's really hard to draw a map that doesn't do it that way. And in fact, Michigan's redistricting does have rules that prevent the breaking of, they're called the APOL criteria, A-P-O-L, named after um, the author of them in Michigan. And it, it, this has been codified in the courts. It is obeyed by, has been obeyed by the legislature drawing the maps. It basically gives bias toward whichever map has the fewest line breaks, the fewest community, you know, counties, cities, whatever, you know, the, the tightest districts possible. Now, not every city in Michigan has perfectly straight lines either. So if you, Ann Arbor being an example, it's kind of a circle. If you want, um, if you want a place that, you know, if you want a place that has really, you know, rigorous rules and really straight lines, Iowa. You know, yeah. you're not supposed to break up a, a county, which are nice because they're square. If you do break up a county, you're not supposed to break up a township or a sub mm -hmm. sub political unit. And then when right. you're drawing the congressional districts, you're supposed to have state senate districts together, and state senate districts are supposed to be supposed to have state house districts together. And it's it's all very it's all very tech. Now they don't draw by the legislature; they have a civil servants do it. But um, you know, it's all very it's all very rigorous, and that brings us. Uh, kind of sideways on to the myth of nonpartisan districts themselves. Uh, you know, obviously now with the with the amendment that is uh, you know praised in this uh, in this fairy tale of a movie, uh, there's now this independent redistricting commission in Michigan for the next cycle of congressional districts after the 2020 census. Uh, California did this last census. They had a ballot measure. They had an independent redistrict that created an independent redistricting commission. Um, and that, uh, that redistricting commission that, uh, that was set up supposedly to 
you know, have these fair independent redistricting maps, uh, returned a map that, uh, Capital Research Center, we did a, we did a, a study, we did a hypothetical. If you got the same votes for the parties and you applied the European system of proportional representation, what would you get? What would, how many members of the state's uh, congressional delegation would be from which party? Uh, and the result of the Independent Redistricting Commission in California is statistically indistinguishable from a Democratic gerrymander. You get, uh, you know, in the 2018 elections, you would get 10 more Republicans if you use proportional representation than using the independent map. And then, lo and behold, that was in large part because as the liberal uh, media outlet ProPublica reported, the left organized a pressure campaign uh, to pressure and to lobby, essentially, the Independent Redistricting Commission to make it a Democratic gerrymander. Yeah, and... And this independent, supposedly independent redistricting commission, there's a couple of interesting things about it. Um, number one, the this is briefly touched on with a sharp question from the Michigan from a Michigan Supreme Court justice shown in the movie, but then again, like much else in the movie, not explored. The justice asks, "Well, how in the world, you know, the name of the committee is voters, not politician." And in fact, the purpose of the redistricting commission is to remove the redistricting power from the people's representatives, the legislature. Yeah, the elected legislature. The elected legislators. Yes. The elected legislators um, who are voted on by, uh, you know, we have 10 million people in Michigan, about 7 million voters if they if they all show up. it's That's the system we had. The new system is a randomly selected lottery of people who apply for the position. So it's, it's, it's you know, basically a die roll to find out who's going to be on this commission. So that's, you know, it, it's disenfranchising voters. It's taking their power away from them and giving it to random chance in a lot of ways. But it's even going further than that. The second point, the commission stipulates that four members of this 12-member commission must be identified as from the one major party, and four must be identified from the other major party, defined as the parties getting the largest number of votes at I forget which election they, they use it. And then three and then four members who are supposedly in, independent folks. This is and I went and looked all the way through the Michigan Constitution for any instance where the Constitution specifically gives power to one of the two major parties. This is the only instance where the two major parties are given power in the Michigan Constitution. In every other instance where major parties are mentioned, it is a restriction on their power. Hmm. So this voters not politician thing took power away from voters gave it to the major parties in an unprecedented way it is it is a it's worse than a myth it's a lie um when you consider what the what the committee named itself mm. and then and as you said it, it allows that commission now to be influenced from outside parties in a way you know they're not they're not answerable to voters they can't they, they can't get unelected so if if there's pressure put on them, they don't have to worry about, you know, geez, what are my constituents going to think? Because they don't have any. Sure. And then, so kind of as an exit point, then let's consider the backers of the film. I mean, obviously it didn't make itself. Who's, who's behind it? Yeah, they, it was produced by a, an organization called a, a Hollywood film production company named Participant, formerly Participant Media which is owned and run by a billionaire named Jeffrey Skoll, 
left of center billionaire. And, you know, we make jokes every, you know, the, the liberal Hollywood has been a pejorative for, for a lot of years now. This is perhaps the only Hollywood production company that is explicitly and by design out there to put out left-leaning films. They are the people that gave us uh, Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth and the sequel to Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth and other movies of that sort. It's, it's out there to pretty much put out a left-leaning agenda and promote documentaries and um, they've got they've got no fewer than two films that they put out regarding Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, <laughs> that that's that's their that's their agenda, and they they're not mm. apologetic about it. Um, yeah, no, they they are who they are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unlike unlike uh, you know, uh, unlike implicitly left leaning Hollywood production companies, this one is explicitly left leaning. Mm. Well, Ken, uh, that's all the time that we have. Thank you for your research and for coming on. If you want to learn more about Voters Not Politicians and Slay the Dragon, you can read Ken's review slash debunking at capitalresearch.org. That's our show for this week. We encourage you to subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you, and please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.